0: Welcome to the Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. Today I talk with Aaron Beckliff and Andrew Quinn, the co directors of Pressing On, the letterpress film. We talk about how the documentary came about, why it was important to tell the story, and more, all right after this. We all secretly, and some of us openly, know that we have a deep love for stickers. Whenever we go to Creative South, we come home with a massive sticker haul and we feel like kids again. But why do we have to wait another year for this feeling? Luckily, Slaptastic can give you that feeling each and every month, direct to your mailboxes. Each month, you'll receive a pack of six limited edition theme stickers that you can enjoy and share with your friends and family. Head on over to www.slaptastic.com CS17 and sign up today with a special offer just for you. We've gone through and streamlined the Creative South Podcast Patreon page, cleaning out the excess and making it easier for you to support us. With options starting at just $1 per month, you can help support the podcast and even wind up with some cool Creative South podcast swag. Every dollar helps cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. When you become a Creative South patron, you'll get access to exciting Creative South news before anyone else, Creative South podcast stickers and t-shirts. So please help support the podcast and become a patron over at patreon.com slash South. Aaron, Andrew, thank you for uh, joining me this evening. Yes, I'm glad we could. Uh, I'm glad we could pull this together so quickly. I mean, I feel like it was just about a week. Ago. Well, I reached out to your producer Kevin right before the holidays, and then everything got tied up with it. But then this came together real quickly between the two of you and hopping on Mike just this week, really.
1: Yeah, we're excited. We're excited to talk about the project, and uh, I think just excited to be on a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, that's very neat.
0: (laughs) That's a lot different than uh, being behind the camera and stuff like that. So why don't we start off by just kind of talking about who each of you are and what your roles with. Or um, Aaron, we'll start off with you.
2: Sure. Um, so my name is Aaron Beckloff, and um, with pressing on the letterpress film, our documentary, uh, my role was that I'm a letterpress printer. So I had a lot of letterpress friends in the community. Many of them were aging; they were in their 80s. I was worried that there was the knowledge was going to be lost. So mm-hmm. I wanted to make something visual. I wanted to record that history, that knowledge, with these people. And so um, through a couple friendships, I got connected with Bayonet Media which is how I met Andrew and um, yeah so he can kind of introduce himself here and I can tell you more (laughs) about my background later.
0: Sure
1: Andrew? Yeah so um, I've been a filmmaker of some type since I was about 15 years old. Um, Mm -hmm. I co-founded Bayonet Media in 2012 with my partner Joe Vella, who was the director of photography and one of the executive producers on the project. Um, We met Just through a mutual contact, Joe's sister, in fact, is uh, childhood friends with Aaron uh, and helped kind of connect the dots there. Um,
0: So small world. Yeah,
1: small world for (laughs) sure. Um, And we have like positioned ourselves to where this project um, really made sense to us. Um, I mean, I can go deeper into that. Um, But basically, we've done a lot of short documentary work um, and then Mm -hmm. some work for pbs we did a couple of like shorter um kind of feature length tv feature length documentaries in college as a group all the kevin joe and myself Mm -hmm. and then uh we had made a little short documentary about a letterpress printing studio um in indianapolis um, Mm -hmm. a craft documentary and then a a bunch of different shorter documentaries for more commercial uh, applications and then when Aaron came along, it just seemed like a really natural fit fit for us because, um, kind of, putting to use the stuff that we wanted to do, we all were in a position where we wanted to make our first feature, and the subject sure. and everything just seemed like a really good fit for us.
0: So Aaron, I I know you kind of touched on it a little bit, but you know what gave you the idea, aside from you know having these relationships with some of the aging printers that you wanted to do in this and, and and I guess the follow up to that would be did you think it was going to be this big at that point?
2: <laughs> oh no I really could not have imagined we would have been able to achieve already what we've achieved just in making the film um, when I went to Bayonet I knew that I, I had this interesting group of people with this very specialized knowledge um, they truly are characters I can't wait for everybody to get to meet <laughs> them in the film but uh I didn't really know what to expect. I knew it was something that really needed to happen, and we needed to record the footage. And, and quite honestly, I wasn't as motivated by making a movie at the beginning. Making a film wasn't wasn't my main goal. It was mostly collecting the footage and and saving that knowledge. And so, um, but it's interesting because through making the movie, mm-hmm. I think that we've all kind of met in the middle, where um, Andrew and Joe and Kevin, all of our partners, that got to meet the the printers along the way and go to their houses and their shops, they've really become a part of the letterpress community. And I now am extremely proud that I've produced a film or helped produce a film. And so um, I never really imagined how big it could get. I mean, I'd seen documentaries like Linotype, the film is an excellent documentary, Mm -hmm. um, very specialized piece of equipment. I think it's extremely well done. Doug Wilson's the director of that film. Uh, And so... Once we started, I realized there was this need for a, a letterpress film. Um, sure. there was, the, the design community is really excited about it already. We've been we've connected with print and have a relationship with them. And so we really hope that this becomes something that the graphic design community appreciates and, and wants to see as much as Helvetica and all those other documentaries that have been popular over the last eight to ten years.
0: Mm-hmm. And Kevin, I mean, <laughs> Andrew, sorry. <laughs> it's OK. When, <laughs> um, when, when Aaron reached out to you, all what, what, was, what was your first thought?
1: Well, we have had, um, there's this, you know, you hear that saying, if you build it, they will come. So we are like sure. a, one of the few production companies, I think, in Indianapolis that um, had done documentary work and kind of was departing from just strictly commercial and marketing type stuff. So we, people started coming to us. There was a guy who wanted to make a documentary about like Pentecostals and, Mm -hmm. and several other people came. And a lot of times it's like, well, we would take, take meetings with these people. And then you would tell them like, well, this is how much a documentary costs. And they would, you know, that conversation (laughs) kind of ends abruptly and like, we'll see you later and I'll be sure to email and follow up. And then you don't hear from them anymore. So
0: I think it, as a designer, I have those same conversations.
1: Exactly. It's like, uh, you know, everybody, you want to get paid for your work and do something. If you're a professional, I believe that you should be paid for what you're doing. Um, so we mm-hmm. kind of threw around the financial thing and we kind of, I think it was like, we're a little hesitant, like, um, this sounds maybe too good to be true. Um, and it, it well, and it was also like, Hey, my sister's friend. Wants to make this documentary, (laughs) so it was just like, who who knows what this will actually become? Um, But then once we met Erin and you started to hear her passion about the subject, um, and and you could see that she was like the gatekeeper of this community of all these like fascinating characters, Um, and it was like, you know, I don't remember a specific like point in time, but through back and forth, it clearly became like, okay, there's there's something here. She didn't balk at the number of like what it would take to produce it. She's, you know, she's Mm -hmm. following up with us. And that to me was another thing too. Like the fact, like we at Bayonet, we put our interns through these tests of like, well, you have to email me back or you have to find your way to our office on your own, just as like a trial to prove that you've got some skin (laughs) in the game. And it was very clear that like, you know, she had it together and was like interesting and interested in doing things the way that we wanted to do them.
0: Gotcha. Aaron, where did this passion for the letterpress come from? I know you've got your own shop and
2: yeah, stuff like um, that. My, my full-time job is actually, I'm an assistant professor of graphic de- design and letterpress at Miami university. Mm-hmm. So, um, Long story short, I got my first press as a a wedding gift from my in-laws, a small printing (laughs) press, and uh, that was sort of the hook for me was that first press, and then I went out into the community and reached out and just wanted to learn how to do it, and so Mm – Right away, I was relying on other people to learn this skill. It's kind of like the old apprenticeship model, except for not six years long anymore. You still can get the best information from somebody else who's been doing it a lot longer than you. Sure. And uh, so I got into printing. I started acquiring presses, and I started joining organizations like the Amalgamated Printers Association and – I just really started to love it. My I don't do as much. I don't do commercial work anymore. I just mm-hmm. print for myself because it makes me happy for occasions like conferences, things like that, but I do teach it. And I think through sharing it with others, I started to realize that it was something that I would love to share with an even bigger audience. And so again, I didn't really know when we all met, it's like, we're going to make a documentary and I just I just was all in. I didn't really ever think about how much time or energy it was going to take because I just knew we needed to do it. And I felt extremely confident as soon as I met met Andrew and the guys. And raising the money was definitely a challenge. Um, We decided to do a Kickstarter campaign. I was about to say
0: you guys started with Kickstarter, right?
2: Yeah, and we went for an ambitious goal. Our goal was sixty five thousand dollars and it sounded like a lot, but it was like we have to get it. We can just do it. And the community really rallied around us. Um we got a lot of all our rewards for the most part were donated. Mm-hmm. So printers, um, hat show print gave us a poster, um, people donated prints and one person in the middle of the campaign called and wanted to give us a press, just like the first one that I got. So we got to give someone else a printing press through oh, our wow. Kickstarter. It was really cool. And um
0: was this so, like, a, I'm assuming this is like a tabletop press.
2: No. Yeah, yeah. Just a little Kelsey five by eight to make like note cards or coasters okay. or whatever. Um, yeah, not one of the big <laughs> 5,000 pound ones, you know. Um, I was but about to we, say
0: shipping alone would kill you on yeah. that.
2: Yes, <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, the Kickstarter was, was wild. Making the Kickstarter video was a really good test. Like, we all worked well together. And I like to – the first time we went to do our interviews for our Kickstarter video, it was with mm-hmm. Dave Churchman and Dave Pete, And they're two friends. who have been prens- friends in pin- printing for over 50 years. Um we went down to Dave Churchman's shop and we're, we're scouting the location. I don't even know what that means at this point. I'm just following the guys around <laughs> trying to figure out what this all is. And then Dave Churchman gets Andrew and everybody on press. And it was just this moment of now they're a part of it. Now they're running a press and they're pulling the prints and discovering what it is so special about this. I don't know. What do you what was that like for you, Andrew? Uh,
1: I mean, to me, the whole thing just like it was immediately fascinating because um, I've always liked paper craft and that kind of thing, and I was kind of unaware about letterpress, um, but I, you know, familiar with like stamps and that kind of thing, and um, so it's like okay, you're slowly like seeing what it is and what it does, but then the like the mechanical side of it and all of that was really interesting to me, um, and just to me, I, I don't know, there's a, it's fascinating on a lot of levels. Um, letterpress is this. Uh, well, I think media is cool. I mean, the reason I'm excited about doing a podcast is like this technology is available and we can like express our thoughts and share them with the world in a way that we could mm-hmm. never have done, you know, years and years ago. And letterpress right. is like the first step towards that. This uh, the ability to, to communicate something and like disseminate that information and hand it off like, here's an idea and I'm going to hand that off to you. Um, but then mm-hmm. also like mechanically aesthetically like there's all these moving parts and everything's moving back and forth but you have this machine and you put an idea in it and then it spits out a piece of art and it's like this is just like so fascinating so then you know Mm -hmm. we're, we're shooting that kickstarter video and we go into dave churchman's basement and it's just like this perfect storm of like this is like hoarders down here it's crazy visually overwhelming <laughs> but it's like instead yeah. of old band-aids it's like metal pieces of metal and like signage and um like there's a thing that could be a counterfeit 20 bill hanging up over there and like ink and all this stuff and it's like <laughs> where like we walked into this weird like narnia and this there's this whole world that exists and we just <laughs> walked into this random basement in indianapolis and it's here and it's like it was just overwhelmingly cool. Like, uh, I don't know. I'm just getting excited again, thinking about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I noticed, you know, kind of visually that that was a bit of a theme that a lot of the printers had of just this overwhelming amounts of clutter. Um, some more organized than others. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's like, they, it's almost like you said, it's like hoarders where the, you just keep, collecting and collecting and collecting um what was that like you know kind of witnessing that stuff
2: Dave Pete, Dave Pete's one of our, our other main characters, and and he calls it a disease. And there is something. I mean, I'm a part of all this. I got my first press, and now I have around five. And my husband and I had to move to a new house because I got a big press, and we had a place for it to live. Like, it's just kind of the strange natural progression of this craft. And and hopefully people people and people do. They're generously sharing their equipment and trying to clear out some of the clutter. But it is something that sort of overtakes you. Bayonet's office is a really good example. Their office is slowly becoming like letterpress is starting to be a major part of their decor over there, and it's pretty
1: wild. It's, I mean, that to me was a a thing because I've, um, around like hobbyists and people who collect things, I collect, um, I'm here in my basement and have like a collection of VHS tapes and old Nintendo games, and like, (laughs) um, I'm like involved in a little bit of a motorcycle restoration community, and I know a guy who has like three motorcycles in his living room and these guys, there was a part of it that was like a little bit of a cautionary tale because they're so swept up into the like collecting side of things that they have so much stuff that they can't actually get to their press to print. Um, which Uh is like really fascinating to me. It's like, you're so obsessed with this thing that has prevented you from actually doing it. Um, so that was like a weird realization along the way. It that's not really like a something that we kind of talk about in the film so much, but it was definitely like well you're if you're not careful your hobbies can definitely overcome you. But at the mm. same time, it's like a visual visually shows how passionate these people are. And the, and I think mm. it's very interesting that like they care enough to like let it bombard their lives and they're holding on to this stuff so tightly because they see <laughs> Its important to society, and they they need to grasp and hold on to that to share with future generations.
0: Absolutely, well, I you know the the you you mentioned the collecting so much of the stuff that it kind of prevented them from doing stuff. It, and and while you don't really touch on it in the film, I kind of the the couple from Red Door Press whose names are escaping me, Tammy and Adam. You know the yeah, Tammy and Adam. They're 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 playful bickering back and forth, but I could kind of pick up on that where it's like we're playfully bickering, but there's an undertone of no, we've got too much stuff. and <laughs> How are we going to deal with that? Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Presses just seem to find them. Tammy and Adam. Uh, yeah, you get to hear more about that in the film. Tammy. Brings home this first press and doesn't even tell Adam she's getting it, and it wasn't one of those little tabletop ones. It was a large, a large C and P Chandler and Price Platen press. And so he, she opens this garage door, and here's this thing. And now uh, letterpress is a huge part of their lives, and Adam has come around to it. Um, he he <laughs> is supportive, and and he'll continue to get Tammy presses. I think they have around twenty four right now. So. Jeez. Um, they are selling them to other people and trying to they want to open like a book art space so that other people could experience using them as well. But, yeah, it is. It's it's really hard to say no when you find one. I was at an auction on Saturday and I had to resist buying another press that I don't need. It can't move because you don't want to see it scrapped. It, it can work again. It can make prints again. You really want to see see the equipment survive and be able to continue being used.
1: Yeah, true. And I think it's like <laughs> but, a parallel to like creativity and that. You, you know, you get an idea, or you see an opportunity, like this, you, something clicks in your mind that if I, I could use this technique in this way or whatever, and you're excited and then you start mm-hmm. that project and then another idea comes along and you get that project started. And before you know it, you have all these projects and it's like, ah, oh, I don't, I, you know, am I producing enough work here? Am I getting enough stuff done? Um, I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing because it can like, it can go either way.
0: Gotcha. So you know when you were you know, starting all of this stuff and kind of finding your cast of characters, what what drew you to? Because I think that you know Tammy and Adam have the biggest through line throughout the entire film, and then you've got the Daves, Um and and, and you talk to Jim Sheridan from Hatch Show, and a couple other people who are escaping me, but between the Daves. um, and, and tammy and adam those are they have they seem to have the biggest focus throughout the entire film what what made you choose them and kind of choose that storyline
2: it was a i mean it was definitely an evolution we went out and did uh, a couple summers ago i'm gonna forget the year but we went out and shot all of our interviews as many of our interviews as we could and then um Andrew and I had to sit down and and let the interviews let the characters write the story. We couldn't. I mean, we had an idea, of course, of what we wanted it to be, and we worked back and forth from the trans. We got all the interviews transcribed, and, and we were writing those stories via Google Docs. And we just started to see that it would be really nice to have um, a constant, and so that became Tammy and Adam. Tammy and Adam's story was something that we could tell throughout the film, and they're they're the future. You know, they're mm-hmm. the idealistic like we want if people see the film they think oh I could get a press and do this myself too we want it to Mm. want to show that it's accessible even though it's not just the guys 80 year old guys they don't have it all it's still out there to find Mm. um so that was where that was and Dave Pete was actually a big motivator for why I did the project in the first place. Um Dave's health was uh bad at one point and I got really scared and was afraid that we would never be able to preserve his knowledge, his legacy, all the stories he told me. And so he he was this motivator, this catalyst that made me want to con- want to take on the project. So mm. and he has that sort of godfather of letterpress like Uh, he just is kind of the godfather of letterpress and then dave churchman i mean just he's great andrew can probably speak more about churchman yeah
1: i mean i think what she what she's saying is right i mean there's you, you 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 see pretty quickly how there's this thing of like the 80 year old man and the like 20 30 something female and like so that was a like became apparent. And I think, I don't remember if we end up like straight saying that we did have a scene where at one point where like three characters say kind of that same thing, but then it became like, well, mm-hmm. you can show this parallel between Dave Pete and his like this, this, like, I can't let stuff go to the scrapyard back in the sixties. And then now you have Tammy and Adam who are kind of like experiencing the same thing. Um, so that parallel, like it, we we were looking for a way to express that, and then it just kind of manifested itself, I guess, between these two characters and trying to show, like, sure, we and that was something we wanted to show is how this this medium has like transcended different generations of people. Um, they may be using mm-hmm. it to print different things, but they still have the same like irrational attachment to this stuff. Um, <laughs> and then Dave, like. I mean, Dave, again, like Dave Churchman, that was my introduction to letterpress was through him. And he's like, I mean, all mm-hmm. these guys that we met, it was like, I want this guy to be my grandfather or my uncle, you know, like they're just good, wholesome, like whole blue collar guys, which was like growing up. I mean, that was my dad. He was a tradesman. He's a machinist. And like, um, mm-hmm. my grandfather was, he worked in a file, he he worked in a place that manufactured files and I uh, he passed away before I had the relationship to have these kind of conversations with them. So it was really great to talk about, talk to a, uh, an elderly person or I don't know what the best way to say it, but like talk to the, a wise, you know, a wise old man about like his passions and like have that conversation about what is driving you. Like you spent a, a, good amount of your life dedicated to this this medium and why is that um and mm-hmm. and then just seeing them expand on it and it's like well i don't want to go away i don't want this interview to stop i want you to tell me more and more and more and then like dave churchman the more you found out about him like we found these blueprints for this like man lift that he invented and patented and dave pete like patented the coin slot on a payphone when he worked at what like what? they have these yeah. They, yeah. and Dave P owns a train <laughs> car and like he developed radar systems um, for like the the army and everything. And it was just like the more you find out about these guys, like the more fascinating they become. And that was sort of the challenge is like, well, this documentary.
0: These are like whole other documentaries exactly. that you can and, come up with just based yeah. around. Exactly. Them.
1: And like at one point we had that whole other documentary of it was four hours long. And it's like, well, people <laughs> yeah, we don't want to hear about the coin slot or maybe they do, but they also want to hear about wood type or something else. And you just can't like go that mm-hmm. far down the rabbit hole.
0: So how did you get introduced to um, Jim Sheridan? Um,
2: I was an intern at hat show print. Oh, uh, awesome. Right. Yeah. Right. When I got started printing, um, I'd met Jim Jim and uh, Brad Vetter also at an AIGA event in Cincinnati mm-hmm. or at NKU and uh, I hosted them and was helping them sell posters and I got this press and I, I called down to Nashville and they said, well, why don't you come down and be an intern for a couple of weeks? So I had the opportunity to learn. I mean, pretty much one of my first experiences learning letterpress was at Hatch. So got to know Jim through that. And then um, now Selene Aubrey is the manager at Hatch Showprint. Mm-hmm. So she's also a big part of the the hatch scenes in the film. And it just, it was something we needed, we needed to include hatch is is really important to letterpress printing. It's a very public, public institution. People can go and experience it. People have the posters if they know it or not on their walls. And, um, yeah, it was really great. Uh, Jim's interview is, is stellar. He's fantastic on camera.
0: Well, yeah, because hatch hatch has become probably, probably the most famous letterpress company in the world. At this yeah,
2: point. absolutely. Uh,
0: um, and then, you know, you touch on this. One, I think one of the Dave's said it is, you know, he was focusing on how letterpress needs to be about communication and things like that. And he, he mentioned, you know, Hatch Show is doing stuff that it's 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 about art at this point. So that that dichotomy between what those guys were doing versus what Hatch is doing, how did you kind of separate that in the story?
1: I We had this, Aaron and I had this long conversation about kind of based on, we had a lot of conversations about like, craft and design and what does this all mean and and how how has this again like I've interested in this angle of like the blue collar worker and a trade degree and that kind of thing and now how is it this thing that we taught in a vocational school has made its way into becoming like a part of a fine arts program or a graphic design program mm-hmm. um and we're like well it's because it's it's kind of become um, like more ephemeral and more, I don't know. It, it's, it's not like people aren't printing for the same reasons you used to print to have this like job form that's, or an invoice or some very, uh, they call it job printing, but very like nuts and bolts, functional words on paper. And, and sure. hatch is like, that's never been what they did. They always use the medium to produce art. Well, I mean, it started out as a communication device and a functional, Jim says it's functional, tell you, like sell you on going to a country music show. Um, Sure. And so they kind of became a way to, they kind of checked a few boxes because Hatch like showed that, okay, it hasn't always just been a straight, or started as a job and then it transitioned into art when we started hanging posters for the show on our wall we kept them as a piece of memorabilia and then mm-hmm. they the other nice like sort of convenient thing with hatch is like for someone who's not familiar with letterpress at all and comes across this documentary they kind of provide the like oh that's where i've seen that that elvis poster mm-hmm. with like him in two colors that andy warhol like later sure. like replicated that was letterpress and it's like okay i get it now
0: replicated is a nice word yeah, for it.
1: yeah uh, it was inspired by i guess so that it it um it's and then and then it's like okay that elvis that elvis image was like made in nashville in the midwest and like mm-hmm. it so it, it started it became a thing to connect a lot of other ideas around um and mm-hmm. and again like to aaron's credit it was like her being like the gatekeeper almost or like the ambassador to this whole culture for us. was so like, <laughs> we would have never, maybe you would like, well, people would say, you got to go to hat show print. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, us calling up and like, we're trying to make this documentary. They would have had the same thoughts that I did about Aaron when she first called, but it's like, Aaron, your intern has this <laughs> crew of people and like, okay, maybe this is legit. And then they let us in for uh-huh. three days and let us like come in after hours and shut things down. And, i think they got a little frustrated at points but like i mean in the end it all was worth it but i guess all this to say like i don't think we would have ever having the ambassador take you there meant we got to get a lot more in depth because you can tell like jim sheridan has been interviewed a million times for various different things (laughs) magazines or whatever and like We finally, Mm -hmm. because Aaron was there and he knew her, he started talking about, well, what I really want to talk about is this, and kind of got away from Mm -hmm. some of his canned stuff.
2: And and even though it is about Hatch... It was also a goal of mine, even though Hat Showprint, Hamilton, Wood Tip and Printing Museum are important as institutions, always wanting the movie to be focused on the people. And mm-hmm. so it's about Jim's connection to this and, and what was his role in it. It's about Cellini's role in being a part of this. It's about the people, and, and that's, that's what's really keeping it going. Sure, people are buying the posters. Of course, that's what's keeping right. it going too. But without people committed to doing it, without Jim picking up those blocks and figuring out how to start printing posters so that people would collect them, I don't know that letterpress would be in the same place that it is without his contributions overall.
0: Right. well, and that's, that's kind of what I was curious about is, is, you know, you know, you've got the, the, the working class contribution, which I think there's, you guys do a great job of telling through the story. Um, and, and then you have that where it's almost, I don't want to say it's become a high art form as far as what they're doing, but it's, it's definitely art-based. Um, yeah. yeah. So that, that was an interesting way to do that. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, there was, again, like that com- conversation we had. I can't remember. Oh, we were saying like the, it's so weird how it started as an industrial art and now it has become mm-hmm. like a fine art. Like it's I, – I don't know if there's a lot of other mediums that have done that. Um, you know it, – it, maybe photography to some degree or photography has gone back and forth between functional and it's got a lot of uses. Right. Um, and design, I mean like a stop sign, is that a piece of art, but there's a lot of design, you know, mentality that goes to all that. Sure. Um, but I, yeah, it was, that to me was a very interesting element of it. And, and the thing that another thing is like, you have, Pat show print who is this like they are the fine artists of letterpress in a way and uh i mean you could call um uh jen farrell at star press like her stuff is like fine art in a way like the amount of detail she puts mm-hmm. in it and who did she learn that from paul aiken who taught it at vocational school like it's mm-hmm. it's like two generations removed from this thing and it's also interesting gotcha. like to me again talking about like Trades and all of that, as America is like turning more into we're ma- we're manufacturing less and we're um, getting more into intellectual property, I guess, and tangible goods, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool that something has survived in this way, you know, like the mm-hmm. the blacksmith. Like our people. Making blacksmith, like you know, redoing blacksmithing, and I'm sure they are, you know, and they're they're starting to. The internet's allowing people to sell these things on Etsy and bring crafts back into relevance and that kind of thing. But I don't know. It, it's just really interesting the way it has has totally transformed from this like functional thing to like a I don't know abstract fun art and craft and craft.
0: <laughs> yeah. well so Aaron, i'm i'm curious about what your take on that is since you you know you're you're a professor you have you've got your own little mini shop that you do um and and, and i don't mean that in a degrading way <laughs> no, <not laughs> I, really all. Heard, I heard it come out of my mouth and i was like but um uses conversion press right yeah
2: that's my at miami that's our university that's our press with our gotcha. graphic design program um well, and it's interesting because physically, what Andrew said is totally right. The industrial arts, industrial art to uh, fine art at Miami University, the printing presses used to be with industrial arts. You know, they were over mm-hmm. in this other building, and that was where people were learning to, to use them. And now they physically got moved over to be a part of the Department of Art. And um, it's interesting because the graphic design class or the letterpress class that i teach is being taken by a variety of majors and i really feel like it it comes down to this like people have a need for for a desire to make things with their hands to have more manual competency and this is something andrew and i andrew and i found we would be reading the same books at the same time while we're (laughs) working on the film like not even talking (laughs) about it just um and it's Just interesting that people want to be a part of every step of a process today. I think that digital technology, it is happening really fast. And there's something about the pace, the slowness of letterpress, the tedium that people just connect to. Um, And maybe they aren't going to do it their whole life, but my students, I can see them. They have a calmness. They were just telling me tonight. They're cleaning. They're putting stuff away. They're putting each letter away in its place in the California job case where it belongs. And they're like... It's, it's almost meditative. And so mm-hmm. then to be able to take that process and then make something new with it and have this piece of art, this piece of design, this piece of craft come out of this machine and know you did it. There's a satisfaction that, that people just connect with. And it's something people in the film talk about a lot. And it's something people feel as soon as they use the process too. Gotcha.
0: So how do you, when you're going through kind of switching gears a bit here, when you're going through and in the editing process, how do you find the story? Andrew?
1: Uh, it's definitely a a moving target and like doing a feature. I remember like, you know, this is my first feature and, um, started out. I was doing a lot of the editing. Um, we had this whole process on paper where we took our transcripts and edited and we had like the story we set out to tell and all of that. But, um, I remember one of the biggest challenges for me, like, you know, I'm used to editing commercial work, stuff that's like maybe 30 seconds, three minutes, something like that. And Mm. you can kind of see the whole thing at once. It takes 30 seconds or three minutes to look at the whole project and you say, okay, the edit I just made made, did make an impact. But if you're like, oh, you know, do we want to go with option A or option B and to see how that to take a step back takes an hour and a half. And like, it's a, a sure. little overwhelming because you feel like you're, it's almost like if you're building a building and you're looking like, is this brick in the right place? And how's that going to affect the roof? Well, I had to like walk all the way out to the street and see. So you're looking at it up close and that was a little like maddening at times. And that's where like, it was super <laughs> helpful to have Aaron. And it's like, I'm sweating over like, is this or that better or worse? And it's like, I, there's no difference. You're you're splitting hairs. But then, I mean, so that was like the minute thing and like getting down and kind of stuck in the trenches after like, you know, you've been focused on this subject for a year and a half. But then in terms of like setting out the story, it was a lot of like, we think this is important. Um, We think that we should stop and talk about this thing. And then when you show it to a group, the things that they respond to or like they may think something's funny that you – like, you meant it for it to be lighthearted, but you didn't realize it was going to, like, cause an audience to laugh. And it was like, okay, well, that mm-hmm. felt good to see the audience, like, laugh and they're not falling asleep because we're talking about this, you know, old technology or whatever. So, let's go more in that direction. Um, sure. It was – but, it, it. I mean, things start to become apparent. You When you hear 10 people all say the same thing, you're like, well, that's a definite theme. And so, we would – we would mm-hmm. take all this stuff, so I'm kind of jumping all over the place in the process, but you know, we had these transcripts, and we it was back and forth on Google Docs, and uh, most of the editing was done on paper and Google Docs um, compared to like in Premiere. So what we had what we called buckets that we would take like. This is anytime somebody's talking about printing as a form of communication. And this is anytime t- somebody's talking about how great it feels to touch letterpress and to feel the nick and the wood type and all that. And then these themes start mm-hmm. to arise. And then you go back and think about, well, how can we make these things, this theme shake hands with this other theme and kind of continue and flow in that way. Um, so, I mean, it, it was like, It definitely was a lot of like, it was always moving, always liquid. And there was a lot of stuff that, I mean, we had like a 400 page document, which would have been 400 minutes (laughs) or something like that. We got it cut down and there was a four hour cut. And that was like this whole day luncheon thing at our office where everybody reviewed scene by scene and like everybody, we thought, well, this is terrible. What are we doing? and you get you slim it down <laughs> you adjust it here and then you're like well now we got to go out and film and adam again because wouldn't that be really great to connect these dots and uh yeah it was it was definitely interesting and like pretty cool how it was you, it's i think that's where filmmaking is somewhat unique in that you think and it's a team effort you think that you think, okay, it's going to be A, B, and C, and then this whole other element you didn't even realize shows up, and it's better than everything you thought of. And you have to have an open mind to be able to go where the story wants to go. Sure. Yeah,
2: it was it was really fun to edit. Well, fun most of the time. Um, <laughs> We we would each take some of the themes and, and try to organize the transcripts and then we'd pass them back and forth and so each of us was was using our own skills and experience and background to bring different elements to the story and um, I live in Ohio I'd go over to Indianapolis once in a while and just sit with Andrew and we we'd just take one scene I mean it'd take a whole morning sometimes to just go through it watch it through take notes decide who was saying something the best what was the the most meaningful part of the scene trying to get it down just pared down to the time we needed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I'm not sure how far in, but we brought in um, Dustin got involved and he he's our other editor on the project. And I feel like it was it was nice to have somebody else have fresh eyes on it. Somebody who had been on a couple of our shoots with us was familiar with it. But also, I mean, he had his own style of editing, but I feel like everything ended up fitting really nicely together and seamless and, and the collective effort yeah. was was a really neat part of this there's no way I mean such a huge endeavor and so many other people were involved too from our team
1: I think another big thing was like how much things like I was saying about you know there to me there's a little bit of the cautionary tale of like don't let your Mm
0: -hmm. passions
1: overcome your life well we couldn't we didn't ever have anybody saying that outright because it was like an observation that we made as filmmakers but hopefully it still like comes through and that was what I kind of learned that some stuff is inferred and hopefully the audience picks up on that. Um, Or maybe they have their own interpretations that they take from it. And it was, that was cool to learn that like, well, you don't have to flat out say everything. Um, Yeah. A lot of it is just going (laughs) to like come
0: through in some way. Sure. So, you know, you mentioned this of the story you started out with versus the story you ended up with. How, how widely did those uh, vary?
2: Um, I mean, Andrew and I both personally had interest in like manual competency and trades. And in the end, we realized that it, it, it's really mostly about, about the people. It's the subculture, it's the relationships between the people, these unexpected friendships between 30 something women and 80 year old men and how everyone's connected through this, this thing, this letterpress printing, like mm-hmm. really, that's why we're all friends. Like, but I, it's, that is, I mean, incredible friendships. And that I think maybe was what motivated me to do the project. And then I got into a little bit too much in my head about like, oh, well, it needs to teach people things and it needs to be this (laughs) educational. And then Andrew would bring me back and be like, well, what if we show this way? And so now the goal is we hope people walk away from the movie learning a lot about letterpress but being entertained and just really getting captivated by the people that love it, I mean you wouldn't want to go out and buy a typecaster just based on watching the movie, but you may not have even known how type was made, and mm. now you get to see it and so that that whole like show don't tell was a big was a big thing for me to get used to like we had the shots, we had the people how can we show show how wonderful letterpress is and Yeah. But still, still convey the community and how connected everybody is too. Yeah. I think, what do you think? I mean, I think,
1: yeah, I think going into it, like coming up for you, like coming from an academic world and coming from a letterpress, like deep in the letterpress world, um, it could have been like a lot more technical and we pulled back on some of that stuff and we didn't, sometimes, sometimes we get feedback from the audience that like, well, I would like for you to stop and explain what, um, point nine one eight means and it's like well the one percent of the audience might want that but it's like it's not really about that and you start to realize like it's about it's more about the moment of like the trial on tammy and era T- tammy and adam's relationship as they're getting a press out of a basement <laughs> than it is like what's the name of this typeface um, i don't and i think Yeah, I guess if I left to me, it would have been like, it could have easily just been like an hour of the machines like spinning around. uh, And like, (laughs) that would just be a really long screensaver. No one would want to watch that. Um, But it, (laughs) it, it. yeah, some people might, you know, like a Baraka-esque thing that's just machines turning and maybe you hear some old guys talking underneath. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, it, it definitely evolved a lot from, I don't know. I think what we just—you just—I got. There was just you'd meet this new person, and it was like, okay, this guy has this, like, rich Hopkins, and like he, you know, you see how the change, like, well, one, I didn't think we'd have such a, like, we'd have a sort of a villain of like the change from when the te- technology was made obsolete, and it didn't make it into the movie, but like, use this guy taking us on a tour of his print shop that's full of what he was calling like, uh, you know, like two-ton paperweights because they're these machines that, you know, digital, like, transitionary technology. It was basically, like, the printing Mm -hmm. version of, um, like, Betamax or something like that or Laserdisc, like, this huge warehouse full of this stuff where he had, like, his living depended on it and then it's gone. It's like, well, we have to hit on that in some way, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I found the whole thing – Fascinating, because I like I'm I'm graphic designer, I'm and I got my start straight out of college, um, working for a printing company doing pre-press for them. Awesome, and and you know, hearing some of the people who worked there at the time, you know, talk about how when they got started they were doing ruby lith and amber lith, and while I had theoretically done that in school, I'm old enough to have, you know learned about it um but they would also talk about letterpress and things like that and then that juxtaposition between you know doing that and going from directly computer to plate things like that and how they had this longing for the way it was done before but were very excited about how it was being done now and Mm -hmm. it was interesting to hear that expansion on that longing for how things used to be done that but it wasn't it, i mean there was a bit of nostalgia in it but it was you know almost like they were confused on why they were nostalgic about it yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so, and i had a question there and i lost it that's <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> so i'm just going to make another hard left and and ask you what i wanted to no, was, you know, at, at some point you guys got connected with print magazine. Yeah. How, did, how did that come about in the entire story? of <laughs>
2: All right. So here's one of those, like, well, Andrew and I both had these moments when we were making the movie where, especially on our first shoot, it's big shoot at Jim Daggs. Andrew looked at me. He had this look on his face and I was like, what? And he's like. We're making a movie like you had these moments where it just hit you. And it's so exciting. Um, this Some of these things that happened through the Kickstarter um, and through connections was just I had to ask anybody I could for help. And so I put myself out there and my graduate advisor at the time, Natalia Elin, was friends with Stephen Heller. And she was like, here, just email Steve. It's no big deal. And I was, of course, kind of freaking out because Stephen Heller is this god among graphic designers and writers. Yeah, I'd and- be
0: freaking out, too.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I just I really respect him. And so I just emailed him. And he answered me pretty much immediately, which I thought was impressive. And we sent him I sent him the trailer. And he gave us a testimonial. And, and he, he seemed to like the project. And that was really exciting. And so we had that that support. And then I knew he wrote for print, obviously a lot, um, mm. Daily Heller, and so I, I contacted him again and I said, "Do you know anybody at print?" And he gave me Zach Pettit's name, who's the editor-in-chief of Print magazine. Well, print actually's here in Cincinnati. Well, Zach is here really? in Cincinnati. I didn't know that. Yeah, F and W publications are here, and, and print's right near me, and so I got to meet Zach for coffee. And it was just, we clicked and he's a really nice guy and he's a young guy and super enthusiastic about letterpress and just really liked the project. Um, And then and supported the Kickstarter and then let us, Andrew and I got the chance to write, write some um, journals for print on their website on print.com, printmag.com. And then uh, Zach calls me one day before Hal Design Live and says, I have a crazy idea. It was on St. Patrick's Day, actually, and um, he said, "What if, what if you guys came down and, and we had a pressing on print booth at Howe? I was like, "Yeah, okay." So <laughs> then here we are in May, and Andrew and Joe and Kevin and I are driving printing presses down to Atlanta to this conference to get to share a booth with print, and uh, it was just. Awesome. I mean, we got to print. We printed 400 posters the first night at Howe um, to see all these designers who, a lot of them are in house, a lot of them are working at, at big companies, Hobby Lobby, um, the gas station chains, cross country. And, mm-hmm. and they had this excitement. You see, 400 people have that, that magical spark of getting to print their own poster and uh that was was really really fun to be a part of, and then we also got to show the trailer on the four five huge screens at how design live and and that was pretty surreal that that was started to feel like we'd really achieved something much bigger than i'd expected so that was that's our that's our friendship with print
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're kind of getting close, but i want to Hey, Leonard, he, he's been sitting up here <laughs> batting
1: at things. So sorry,
0: <laughs> I'm leaving <laughs> that in too. <laughs> um, so you know, y- you you've got the film almost done. What are, what are your future plans for it? How how do you plan on releasing it, and when do you plan on releasing it?
1: So, we are, uh, we've submitted to festivals and we are kind of waiting to hear back from all of that. Um, Kind of, that's this more traditional route. Our main goal is like, we want some kind of online distribution, we want it to be the kind of things like, you're surfing through Netflix and you come across it. And then, you know, that like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I saw this cool documentary about letterpress printing on Netflix and someone else gets to tell someone else to watch it. Cause that's always been our goal is to just like share this with other people. And, uh, to me, Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the best ways of doing that. It's just like that word of mouth of like, how many things have you watched on Netflix because someone else said that it was great. Um, so hopefully festivals will be our way to get into that if not we're going to seek um self distribution um and regardless we're still going we've had a lot of like positive reception from just people we've been introduced to like coming off of how and print magazine and all of that so um we've mm-hmm. got invited to to screen it that facebook and the analog lab we've got invited to screen for like google adobe uh, stars a bunch of places like that And um, we have a screening request form on our website and we've got over 200 submissions there. People, like we were really surprised to see that it's like the markets where people are responding to it like internationally, um, Japan, Australia, uh, London. And it's like, we're just really excited to see where it goes and like, you know, whether it's Mm -hmm. us showing up and presenting it or mailing a Blu-ray and like to a college, you know, somewhere. Um, it's just going to be fulfilling to see it get out there into the world. Um, But that distribution part of it is still like a big part of it's like a whole nother leg of the journey um, that we still have to go on and it's like kind of the great unknown uh, at this point. Sure. Um, But yeah, we're definitely excited to like do this grassroots screening because that will happen regardless of like if it gets picked up by a distributor before it goes to Netflix or anything like that, we'll get to travel it around and have that like that be like our band going on tour but with the film and talking about it and showing it watching it with audiences was going to be I, I really look forward to that
2: yeah
0: gotcha.
1: our
2: public premiere is going to be uh, late may or early june so it'll be publicly available we'll start our tour this summer mm-hmm. awesome yeah
0: well wrapping up real quickly where can everybody find out more about the film and find out more about you guys
2: um, yeah, you can uh, visit letterpressfilm.com. That's where you can make one of those screening requests, be it you really want to have an event in your town or you might be the head of an AIGA chapter or just want to get the information so that when we make our plans, we'll come to your city too. Uh, you can follow us at letterpressfilm. Um, our Instagram's pretty active. We're having a lot of the characters from the film are doing takeovers of our Instagram, so You get to see a lot of their process and their daily life as letterpress printers and Andrew any more Yeah I mean I Instagram anything?
1: is probably the best place to stay up to date but go to you know letterpressfilm.com request a screening we're trying to get connected with as many people as possible uh, and bring it to anywhere who anywhere people want to see it
0: Awesome Well Andrew Aaron thank you guys so much for taking the time to chat with me tonight this was a lot of All fun right, Thank you thanks, thanks for having us So yeah. we end we end every podcast by saying go out and hug some necks which is <laughs> I always get the chuckle which is just a way of saying go out and make friends don't be a stranger learn about new things um, would you all mind taking us out by saying Sure. That? ready? one two go out and hug out the necks
2: hug some necks <laughs> perfect <laughs> we'll, we'll stay behind the camera <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you all so much I appreciate it
2: thank you so much take care
0: find out more about pressing on the letterpress film on their website letterpressfilm.com and be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with the film you can keep up with the podcast on twitter and facebook at creative so pod and follow creative south on facebook twitter and instagram at creative south ga over at creativesouth.com and i'm at jay Frostworm on dribble twitter and instagram for a limited time, new Skillshare customers can get their first three months for just 99 cents to get unlimited access to thousands of classes when you sign up at Skillshare.com using promo code CREATIVE SOUTH. What are you waiting for? Start learning today. And remember, if you like the show, help support us over at patreon.com slash Creative South. And if you like the Creative South podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Rate us and leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests. Now go out and hug some necks.